1 Peter chapter 4, would you stand with us as we read God's word, beginning in verse 7. Peter says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you today, we ask and pray that you would help our hearts and our minds focus on your word. What are you trying to teach us today? What do you want us to know? How can we worship and glorify you this morning through this passage? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. I hear beeping. Is everybody okay? It's still beeping. <laughs> All right, everybody get your phone out and look at it. It's either your phone or your pacemaker. I hope it's your phone. <laughs> okay, got quiet. Very good. <laughs> Today's message is entitled, Living in the End. Living in the End. That's not really my message or my title. That's Peter's title today. He says this in this passage, which is remarkable. He says, the end of all things is near. Now that's good news, or it's bad news. I guess it depends on who you are, or more importantly, whose you are, as to whether or not that's good or bad news. Now when Peter says, the end of all things is near, Peter, if, if you look at the context of the passage, when you go home, read the whole passage, he really has this intense anticipation of the second coming of Christ. He's looking forward to it. I think Peter also is aware at this point in his life that if Christ doesn't come back very soon, his life is probably going to end pretty soon. His death is imminent. Now, I've learned a few things over the years and that his death is imminent. I pray that Christ comes back today. I hope it's, it's Christ and not my death, but I know if Christ doesn't come back today and if I survive the week, Tomorrow, maybe 20 years from now, time goes by so quickly and death is imminent. Now, Peter is not saying this to depress us. On the contrary, he wants to give us some sense of urgency, and he's learned this in his latter years. The, old, the end of all things is near. Now, the good news is, whether by the second coming of Christ or by our own death and our mortality, the good news is all of our struggles will be over. And I assure you, Peter at that point had really struggled in his life in so many ways. So many victories, so much power, so much wonderful aspects to his life. However, it came at a price. He was tortured and imprisoned and struggled just like Paul did. For us, our struggles will be over. Disappointments, money problems, difficult relationships, high taxes, politics, physical pain, emotional hurt, all of these things will be over. Oh, and I look forward to that. Oh, go on. We were coming back on the plane from Seattle, and if you get a choice to go and fly to the Seattle airport, pass that up. Um, <laughs> what a mess of an airport. Not, not speaking of Seattle, just the airport itself. They, it should be literally four or five times bigger than it is. It's just packed. 
they haven't learned how to do the, the security thing yet. And so we actually had to start off on a completely different floor at the airport and wait in line for a while. And it finally wind, would wind its way up the stairs to the correct floor. And then we waited in line. It was like, uh, you know, the, 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 the opening of a new roller coaster at Six Flags. And a lot less fun, by the way, when you finally get there. And so we, we got on the plane and on the way back, I, I don't know if you, you've been watching the technology in planes, but one of the things I like to do is they usually have a pretty good selection of movies anymore on a plane and, and it's a four and a half hour flight so we could just watch movies the whole way. We did that on the way up there. And so I was looking forward to that and get on the plane. And by the way, these, the planes anymore, at least the American Airlines planes, they don't even bother to put a screen in front of you anymore. They figure you have a computer with you. And they were right. I had my tablet with me. I had my phone with me. They actually have these little holders you put your phone in so you can watch movies uh, while you're there. So you just log into their, their network uh, on the plane and you, you get all these movies and shows you can watch and just kill the time. And so that was my plan. Only to find out that their network was broken and there were no movies, there was nothing. And so Cherry and I, and since there was no screen, we just stared at the back of the seat in front of us for four and a half hours. But because I had my tablet with me, I had, I had gone through just recently and bought a 500 gig micro SD card and I put every picture I've ever taken, every church fellowship, every event that we've ever had, every video, every church video, every VBS, all of it was on there just gigabytes and gigabytes of videos and pictures. And so I started watching the videos and, and started way back in the year 1999. I'd been here one year, or Terry and I, Gabrielle just been born. And there were some of the pictures where, you know, our children were tiny and some of them, Cherry's this big, you know, she's waiting on children to be born. And I'm remembering back on that time of our life. And as Chris is going through that right now, he and Randy, they're in a wonderful moment in their life. And, and folks, if your children are young, and I know you hear this from old people all the time, but, and now that I'm getting there, I'll tell you, enjoy that moment. Now, I love my kids and I enjoy my children at their age as well right now, uh, as they are uh, almost all grown. But I remember when Gabrielle was so tiny and her little, her little pigtails and, and, you know, they thought mom and dad were the bomb and, and uh, bigger than life, and they were just so much fun at that age. So Chris, enjoy this time, because it will pass just like that. Life goes by so, so quickly. Peter knows this, and in light of this knowledge, Peter urges us to do a few things in this passage that he says are most important in our life. There's some level of wisdom and depth of knowledge that comes from time. As the end becomes more imminent, as Peter would say, that we look back and we see what's important and what's not important. And he says, of all the things in life, I want you to do these things. So he begins by telling us the end of all things is near. Therefore, because we know the end is coming, this is what we must do. He tells us first to clear our minds. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? To clear our minds. Go back to the passage, if you would. He's there, says there in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. 
the word that means to be clear-minded means to be sober. In fact, your translation may use that word sober, have sober judgment, be clear-minded. And again, Peter lived in a world where some people weren't sober. And he saw, as you and I do, the effects of alcohol on people's minds. Now, in our world, we have not only alcohol, but we have medication. We have drugs, uh, some legal and some illegal, that make you a little bit loopy. I went to the dentist uh, last week before the big trip, and they gave me the gas, uh, the, the nitrous, whatever. And I spent the whole time trying not to giggle. I got tickled about something. And I was afraid if I started laughing, they would turn down the gas. And I didn't want them to turn it down because he was giving me all those shots. And so I tried to, to not laugh. You know, normally I wouldn't be like that, but it affected me. And Peter realizes that a lot of people mentally, spiritually are like that. We go through life in a fog. We don't seem to realize what's happening around us. We get so distracted by things that really aren't that important. Now, our, our, our media tells us those things are important. Our world tells us you gotta go after these things, you gotta follow these things, you gotta spend your time and your money and your efforts thinking about all of these things and doing all of these things because they're so, so, so important. But Peter says, no, let me tell you what's important. He says, first of all, whatever you're gonna do, you need to clear your mind. You need to have sober judgment so that you can see what's important and what is not. One of the things that I do as a pastor is make hospital visits. And, and I have to be careful because I know some of you that I visited are here this morning, Gene included. And uh, uh, now this didn't happen with Gene, but before you go into surgery, they give you the medicine and you say things to your pastor you wouldn't normally say. Uh, you see things you wouldn't normally see. And I know that that's the medication talking. In fact, you're not going to remember that I was there or that you said any of those things unless I remind you. But um, we, we, we do that. When we're under the influence, we say things we wouldn't say. We see things that we wouldn't normally see. And we are oblivious to what's right in front of us. Peter says, so many in life are that way. He says, don't be that way. Be clear-minded. In Mark chapter 5, that famous passage where Jesus went and met, uh, came across a man who had been possessed by multiple demons in his life, the legion of demons inside of him. And it had been quite some time. The result of that was he was not in his right mind. He no longer lived in town. He lived out like an animal in the wilderness. The Bible says he didn't have any clothes on because he lived like an animal. And anybody that went near him, he would attack them like a wild animal. He wasn't in his right mind anymore. The demons had done that to him, clouded his thinking to where he acted like and thought like a wild beast, a wild animal. Christ comes along, casts out the demons, you know that famous passage, Passed them into, actually has a conversation with the demons, by the way, negotiated a deal. They negotiated the deal with Jesus. Hey, okay, all right, we know the gig is up. We're about to leave. Could you do us this courtesy, which was extraordinary, and, and cast us into those pigs? And I've told you before when I've preached on demons that the demons did not have the authority to go into anything that they wanted to. That's why they had to ask Jesus for permission. In fact, Jesus actually did the casting. 
They just made the request, can we go into the pigs? By the way, that's, that's a bad request. <laughs> I, they didn't think that plan through. I think they were panicked, uh, which they should have been. So Jesus said, okay, you want to go in the pigs? In the pigs, you'll go. So they went into the pigs, which were unclean animals, which is another story as to why they were there on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. That's for another time, and I've talked to you about that. But he cast them into the pigs. The first thing the pigs did was they ran off cliff down into the, to the lake, and they all drowned. And so there goes the demons. Now, the guy, uh, the, the people came running. You know, word got out real quick. The pigs are dead. And so no more bacon. So they came running to find out why all the pigs were dead. And they find this guy. And the Bible says, because now the demons are gone. And it says three things about this guy. Number one, he's sitting down. He hadn't been sitting down calmly in years. He'd been running probably on all fours like uh, some kind of werewolf or something, a crazed animal. And now he's calmly sitting. They hadn't seen that for, before. It also says he was wearing something. First thing he realized, once the demons were gone, once his mind was clear, is he looked down and goes, hey, I don't have any clothes on. And apparently some of the disciples had given him something to wear. So he's sitting down and he's wearing clothes. And so that's the second thing that we see when, when this uh, wonderful event happens. But it says the people came along and they saw him sitting there in his clothes and then that says this, the Bible says this in Mark chapter five, that he was in his right mind. And in fact, it says when they saw that he, when he was in his, that they, that he was in his right mind, it says they became afraid. Isn't that interesting? Instead of having a big party and being happy, they were terrified. Why? Because they saw that Jesus had power over those evil spirits. This was something more powerful than anything they'd ever encountered before. They were so afraid, they actually asked Jesus to leave. As bizarre as that sounds, that's what they did. Because this guy was finally back in his right mind. When we are where we are supposed to be spiritually, Peter would say it this way, that our minds begin to clear up. Of the cloud that this world inflicts upon us. So he's telling us to be mentally aware and alert and to continue in that mindset. It's a matter of focus. As believers in Christ, you and I are to be focused. So don't be surprised when this lost world isn't focused. If they're confused and they want the wrong things and follow after the wrong things and shout about the wrong things and vote for the wrong things and act the wrong way, they're in a the fog. They don't see clearly because they don't have Christ in their life. But you and I should have clarity. We should be able to focus because clarity gives focus. I had never been to Alaska, and so Cherry and I went on a little cruise to Alaska. It was a seven-night cruise. It was a perfect time to go, August, <clears throat> because it both gets you out of Texas in the heat of, of Texas but it's just a really good time weather-wise to go to Alaska, I'm told. And it was very nice. Now, one of the big things that you do, if not the biggest thing that you do when you go to Alaska is to do what? Do what? Whale watching. That's the thing. You got you to gotta find whales. Uh, there's a big whale quest. 
So now I've been to SeaWorld, I've seen whales close up, but that doesn't count. You gotta see them in the ocean. And so, and we were eager as well. We had our binoculars along with everybody else on, on board. And don't, don't fret if you forget your binoculars or you don't have any, you can buy them on board. And it's, it's about a million dollars. It's, it's obscene how much they charge for a pair of binoculars, but you'll pay anything because you got to see the whales. You're under pressure to see the whales. And so we go up on, uh, once we get to Alaska, it's the big day, the big morning. We go, all go up on deck. There are hundreds of people on the bow of the ship and they're all looking 360 degrees. We're all looking for the whales, the big moment. And everybody is focused. I mean, it's just hundreds of pairs of binoculars. And these guys, they have their cameras. I mean, some people, uh, <laughs> they have telephoto lenses the size of the Hubble, Hubble telescope. They're, they're just massive. And they're all waiting for the big moment for a whale to appear. And all you have to do, I, I'm not saying I did this, but all you have to do is point in any direction and yell the word whale. And they just lose their minds. <laughs> People are running. I mean, they're, they're, they're going crazy. <clears throat> and of course, like six miles away, because we all go over there. Cherry has better eyes than I do. She would say, honey, don't you see it? No, it's just blue water everywhere. I don't, and so six miles away, you know, a little fin comes out of the water about the size of your fingernail and everybody's pushing their shutter buttons as fast as they can, you know, because the world doesn't have very many whale pictures. You know, you can Google it and 40 million pictures come up. But anyway, so everybody's just clicking because everybody is focused on that one. There could be 30 whales behind us. We don't know because we're all focused on this whale or this group of whales. And we see the little, you know, they breathe and the spout of water comes up and you can see that from a long way. And it was exciting, but I noticed how focused everybody was. There wasn't anybody on deck that was just standing there going, oh, it's a whale, you know, because it was exciting. It was, it was the big moment. Peter is saying that life is that way for believers in Christ. You and I should be as focused as a whale watcher trying to see that first whale. And so he says, we ought to be focused and he, then he tells us why. And this is really remarkable. Go back to the passage. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, because of that, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that, here it is, you can what? Pray. Hey, I thought I could pray anyway. Did you know that very often we as God's people and people throughout the world, we pray when we're not clear-minded and we're not focused. Now, what's the result of that? <clears throat> we pray about the wrong things, for the wrong things, and for the wrong reasons. Our prayers are terrible when we're not focused. Ever prayed and you thought back and thought, oh, that's a terrible prayer. Why did I ask for that? I shouldn't have asked for that. I shouldn't have said that in my prayer. We, we pray sometimes and our prayers are wrong. Now, God is gracious. He is so gracious through the Holy Spirit. There's, there's this intercession that takes place. He intercepts our prayers and presents them to God the Father in a way that's more acceptable. But the truth is, Peter is pleading with us how we see life as believers in Christ, knowing that the end is coming. With that clarity, it prepares us for prayer that is powerful so that you can pray. 
I never really thought about it in those terms before with that level of focus. You know, in the hospitals, when I have encountered church members and friends and family that are about to go into surgery, once, now always try to pray for them before that guy comes in with the, with the medicine. <laughs> because I know it goes in quick. I mean, it doesn't take that long. And before they're just loopy as can be. And so I know once they get the medication, they won't remember that prayer or even pay attention much to that prayer. I've never had one of them one time, once they got the medication, say, hey, let's pray. <laughs> no, they're seeing skunks on the wall and whatever at that point because they're not clear-minded anymore. And Peter says, be clear-minded so that you can pray. And he means pray powerfully. I'll tell you this, you pray for your family members, do you not? Yes? One of your family members is near death. They have a wreck. They're going into surgery. They have a terrible prognosis. And your prayers change focus. You've always been praying for them, but now you're really praying for them. You, you get that, right? Peter says that's how we should be because the end is near about all things as we pray with clarity. Prayer is always important, but if we really believe that Christ is coming back soon, our prayers take on new focus and new meaning. A lady was out, out hitting all the local garage sales, and some of you like to do that probably as well, and she came across this old needlepoint uh, message in a frame. It was, it was nicely framed. And the message says this, prayer changes lives. Three words, nicely embroidered, prayer changes lives. And so she really liked it. She bought it. She took it home. She began to look at the different places in the house where it would go best, where it matched. And, and she decided to put it in a prominent place right above or right beside the kitchen table. So that every day as they ate, they would see this message, prayer changes lives. Her husband came in that evening and she showed it to him very proudly and didn't say anything about it one way or the other. It surprised her a little bit. The next day, she's cleaning the house and she goes by the kitchen table and she knows it's not on the wall anymore. And as she goes through the house, she finally finds it tucked behind a bookshelf. And so she takes it back out, puts it back up, and doesn't say anything about it. But the next day, she goes back into the kitchen, it's gone a second time. Again, she finds it behind the bookcase and she thinks, well, my husband must hate it for some reason. So when he came in, she said, well, honey, do, do, do you hate the, the embroidery? Do you think it's ugly? He said, no, I think it's excellent. It looks very beautiful. And she said, well, is, is it not in the right place in the house? Maybe you think it should go somewhere else. He said, oh no, that's, that's a fine place for it. She said, why do you keep hiding it? And he said, well, it says prayer changes everything. He said, I don't like change. <laughs> and so he didn't want to hear anything about prayer changing. Do you understand that is the very nature of prayer is to elicit change. And a lot of people, and a lot of times, we don't really want to change. We like things the way they are. It's extraordinary. 
Well, Peter would say, you need to open your eyes. <laughs> you need to focus because this world is desperately in need of change. So he says to be sober. Secondly, he tells us to open up our hearts. Look at our passage for today. Open up our hearts. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Now listen to verse 8. Above all, now let me stop right there. <clears throat> what does above all mean? What I'm about to tell you is more important than anything else I've told you or will tell you. This is the most important thing. Jesus was the same way about this very topic. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love each other deeply. Now the word deeply is interesting because you and I learn from childhood to adulthood that there are different depths of love. Christ, who sacrificed himself on the cross for you and for me, that's a depth of love this world does not comprehend. And it's hard for us, even as children, to really understand love on that level. It is a lifelong experience of learning the depth of God's love for us. And so he tells us this. And Peter, who himself is learning this, he's grown from scruffy fisherman to this wise apostle. Not just love each other, he says, love each other with depth. The word love here, by the way, is the Greek word agape. I don't give a lot of Greek words to you, but it is the godly love that he talks about. The word is used twice here, and it's both agape in both times. The word deeply means fervently or sincerely. And that's often hard to do because people are not always, people are not always lovable. I love that Peter wrote this. I love that Peter we learned so much, grown since we first met him. It was many years earlier. Here's the scruffy fisherman when Jesus met him. That is a Jesus met him. That's a beautiful moment. Beautiful moment. Never seen Jesus born in life. Never seen Jesus says, I want you to cast on the other side of the boat and see if you don't catch some fish. And that miraculous catch led to his calling to follow Jesus, changed his life for life. Peter has now learned over his life to love, to love deeply, deeply. So whether by the return of Christ or by death, we know that it is coming. Life is short. And we don't have any time to waste. Be and my love and deeply. It was the famous preacher D.L. Moody who once said, Show me a church where there is love, and I will show you a church that is a power in the community. Because that kind of church is powerful. You remember at the Last Supper, Jesus spending his last moments with his disciples. He gives them a command, and I am tempted to say that he, he's speaking sarcastically here. It's hard for me to grasp that he would say it in your way. I don't think he's speaking sarcastically, but it, it, it boggles my mind that he says this. This is John chapter 13, verse 34. Again, his last meal with his disciples, and he says to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then he says this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now why this sarcasm? Why am I tempted? Because Jesus has been, he says a new command I give you. 
It's not like the disciples were sitting there and thinking, oh, you want us to love one another? I've never heard that before. Jesus has been teaching them for three years. How many thousands of hours, how many months, how many years has he been trying to beat it into their heads? Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. And here in his last moments, one last time, he says, a new command I give you. I think Jesus is saying, you know, you've heard me say this so many times. Now it's a command. Never forget this. Love one another. And then he tells us how we're to love one another. He says, as I have loved you. Our love for one another should be a Christ-like love. Not just to put up with one another, but to love one another deeply. He says, so you must, again a command, you must love one another. And then he says in that next verse, this is how people will know that you're a Christian. This is how people will actually know that you're my disciples. Not because of the clothes you wear or because of the Christian jewelry or that bumper sticker on the back of your car or any degree that's on your wall. He says, people will know that you're my disciples to the extent that you love other people. It doesn't really matter what we talk about in here this morning or what strategies we have in this community. If we don't love Azel, Texas and the people in it, we're wasting our time. And we are not known as disciples of Christ unless we love others. And then he says this in the next phrase, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You know what I think of when I read that? My first thought was, whose sins is he talking about? Is he talking about the sins of others? Because it's true. It takes true love to forgive a lot of people because they do bad things against us. It's, some people are hard to love because they're mean to us or they're hateful to us. How can we love people back when they're filled with venom and hatred toward us? Well, we're able to do that because of the blood of Christ. Christ loved them and we're to love them too. But Peter may be talking about his own sins and Peter has a lot of sins to look back on Peter, who denied that he even knew Christ three times during the trial of Christ, he stood outside and people confronted him. Aren't you a disciple? Nope. He says, I never met the man. I never even heard of him. Which is shocking that Peter would say that. Maybe Peter's talking about his own sins. He says, because love covers a multitude of sins. If you find yourself incapable of forgiving someone, there's a problem with the way that you love them. Not that they deserve forgiveness, but if Christ has changed your heart, has transformed your life, he's given you through the spirit, the ability to forgive even the worst around. Peter knew that. Who have you harmed? Who has harmed you? Who's wronged you? And who have you wronged? Love them. There were two little brothers, Harry and James. They had finished supper and they were uh, playing before bedtime. And somehow Harry hit his brother James with a stick. <laughs> Big mystery. <laughs> Tears and bitter words followed. Charges and accusations were being exchanged as his mother, as their mother was preparing them for bed. She said this, she said, now boys, like moms do, 
She said, now boys, what would happen if either of you died tonight and you never had the opportunity again to forgive one another? So James spoke up and he said, well, okay, I'll forgive him tonight, but if tomorrow morning we're still alive, I'm going to get him. <laughs> you and I have all been wronged and we have wronged others. God would say, forgive and love. But what does Peter say in the very next sentence? And we'll close with this. Go back to the passage. He's certainly speaking in the same tone about the same thing in verse 9. Right after he says, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins, he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now you may be sitting there thinking, I'll tell you what, I forgive when they come and apologize. That is, it's really their job, and I like thinking this, by the way, because it, it takes me off the hook. <laughs> it's, it's not my fault. If they don't come apologize, or at least it's their responsibility to come to me and feel bad about it, surely, then I'll forgive them. But this is not what Peter says. What does he say? He says, offer hospitality. That word offer means that you take the first step. You do it first. This childish thinking of, I'll forgive them when they come to me. God forgave us. And Christ did the dying on the cross long before we, we were even in existence. He took the first step. And Peter is saying, you take that step. You offer hospitality, whether they deserve it or not. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, we are a lot like those boys Okay, all right, God, I'll be nice to them, but I don't have to like it. No, Peter, I, I, I promise, Peter had to go through this a thousand times. As a rough fisherman, a scruffy guy, he had to learn to love each other unconditionally and offer hospitality. Take that first step. Do you have a brother or a sister, a parent or a child? a relative, a coworker, a neighbor, you've harbored bitter feelings about and they have wronged you and you've been waiting weeks, months, or years for them to come to apologize so that you can forgive them and move on your way. That's not what you're supposed to do biblically. I challenge you, contact them this week. Offer hospitality without grumbling and see what God will do in your life. Ooh, that's hard to do. Ooh, that's hard to do. Someone once said, forgiveness is surrendering my right. Listen to this. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you for hurting me. Lewis Smedes gave a great definition. He said this, Forgiving is going to a person either in your fantasies or in reality and saying, I don't understand. I'll never understand. It wasn't okay and it isn't okay, but I forgive you anyway. You forgive somebody and you begin to dance instead of wallow. Listen to this. You begin to walk with God. You set a prisoner free and you discover the prisoner you set free is you. The end is near. Clear your minds. Open your hearts. 
love one another deeply, offer hospitality. Pray with me. Father, as we come to you today, I pray that you would help us to take these words to heart. Sometimes it's easy and often it's extremely hard. Peter could do it. Your spirit empowered him to, to see clearly, to pray powerfully, to love deeply, to offer hospitality. That same spirit is alive in us if we've given our life to Christ. We ask and pray what you taught him that you teach us. May it transform our lives and the lives of those around us this week. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? Are you doing this? Are you loving deeply as Christ loves you? Are you forgiving completely? Are you taking the first step and offering hospitality without grumbling? Or are you just waiting for somebody else to do it first? Take that step today. I challenge you. Maybe you just want to come and get on your knees. There's somebody specifically the Spirit has put on your mind. You need to get right with them. Or maybe you want to say, God, give me an opportunity this week to live out this command. Help me to love more deeply. Or maybe you get caught up so much in what this world says is important that you've been living in a fog. And you need to pray, God, give me clarity. The end is near. Help me to prioritize those things that are really important. To love. To forgive. To offer hospitality. Help me to do that. Help me to see what's important in life. And what's not important. This world doesn't get that. But we can through Christ. And through the Holy Spirit. It may be God is convicting you right now and you want to give your life to Christ. Today's the day. Listen, the end is near. We don't know. You don't know. I don't mean to frighten you, but I'm telling you, we don't know the day or the hour Christ is coming back. We don't know the day or the hour that we'll breathe our last breath. But God is giving an opportunity here and now. Just come up and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ. And we'll talk from there. Could be God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and serve Him faithfully in this church to this community. And you want to come up and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or you just want to come up and pray for someone. If God is leading right now, this is your opportunity. As you continue to pray, would you stand? Everyone stands. And as you're standing, all heads are bowed, all eyes are closed. As we stand right now, you come.